This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello and welcome to Halloweeny Bubbies. I'm your ghost host, villain twin. And I am your creepy co-host, Evil Trickrath. How does it feel to be out and about making a gorillas podcast on the night where... The night at which the chaotic evil is had its most powerful mischief night Ooh. or devil's night, whatever you want to call it. I can feel the, the hair standing up on the back of my neck, Trevor. It's going to be a very... I feel so much malevolent energy crackling. It's almost like a fall concert in here. <laughs> yeah, definitely, for sure. I think that there's probably nothing spookier that we could do at this point but talk about news from a band that's technically dead right now. News. <laughs> all Okay, there is some gorillas news, so let's do that first. Yeah, not not I'm I'm not excited to report on this though, are you? No, of course not. It's sort of like sour grapes as far as I'm concerned. Let's talk about the the real final gorilla show. You know, by now our our live episode our second live episode has come out documenting uh, the time we had at the Demon Days Festival. And we won't speak too much about it in case you're listening to this before that for some reason. I don't know why you would. Weird choice, but that's up to you. That's, that's yeah, yeah, weird flex, but okay. Uh, but we had a time there. And then four nights later, Mexico City had a time. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of the same old, same old. But, you know, they, they ugh, I feel very salty about this, Trevor. They got Magic City. Yeah. I mean, what? Why didn't we get Magic City? I had this thought, a weird intrusive thought at that concert. One of the first things Damon said to the crowd after M1A1 was, Muchos gracias. Which is Spanish for... Thank you very much. Spanish is a language spoken predominantly in... Mexico? What if old Damon Auburn's going a little kooky in his old age, (laughs) and he got the date switched up? What if Mexico City got our (laughs) Goodbye to Gorillas performance? (laughs) Jamie did such a good job curating the festival with his Day of the Dead overlay that that our... our, our sundowning aging rocker got a bit confused. I must be in Mexico City. <laughs> okay, the only other special thing that happened there is uh, Damon brought like the whole team, the whole touring staff out on stage for a big curtain call during Demon Days. Here's the thing. When Gorillas is dead, its husk can still be inhabited by like parasitic corporate funguses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. We're going to plug that corpse in, into the wall and... Just ride it out until it won't go no more. Hey, I think these dead cartoon characters could probably print some money (laughs) if we prop them up on these strings here and make them dance for us. Because the second episode of Gorillaz X G-Shock Mission M101 went live, Trevor. I didn't watch it. I have to admit. I'm sorry. (laughs) Can I tell you what happened in it? 
Sure. Okay, so they're in their big car in space, and then they crash an alien nightclub. There's a little uh, Snoop Dogg lookalike alien. Uh, I did see a screenshot of that on Twitter. They throw a bunch of free G-Shock watches out to all the club goers, and then that gets ang- that makes this mob boss, this big alien mob boss, angry. Why? Well, because I think one of them flew into his mouth and he choked on it briefly. Oh, so it's nothing to do with distributing watches. Anyhow, he sends his his cronies after them in their spaceships, and gorillas are running away from them in their space car and there's a firefight and then they uh crash land back in london and then you see uh kiko ebay ebay the the g-shock designer he he's got this list in front of him he checks one item off the list which says create gorillas watches i i told you didn't i i said that on our when the last time we talked about these little cartoons, his lifelong dream was to make some watches. But then wait a minute, because the third item, which remains unchecked, that he double underlines is human slash alien connection. Hmm. Setting up the third chapter, which will come at some point, I guess. Aliens, huh? Those are pretty spooky. Very suitable for our Halloween episode here. Oh, yeah. You could you could set up a little like alien autopsy motif on your front lawn. Be very spooky for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And this episode coincided with the launch of the four Gorillas G-Shock watches. There's one for each band member. I am disappointed to report that none of them look like the one that 2D wears in the Humility video. Bummer. They retail for 120 pounds each or roughly $150, so pretty steep. Nice. I'll have to get one. Well, it's going to be tough because the pre-order stock already sold out. Damn. How am I, how am I ever going to know what time it is? <laughs> well, you might go to... G time is now, like the time is now, except for instead of the, the letter G, dot com, and uh, and then sign up so that you'll be notified when they get new stock in. So you can spend way too much money on a plastic watch with a digital readout. Well, if I don't have something like that, I'm not. I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to know what time it is, so I'll be heading to that website as soon as we're done recording. Well, Trevor, they're shock resistant. Well, I'm not, because I'm sure surprised to hear that. What else do we have to talk about? <laughs> I lo- that was just the peak of disinterest. Okay, <laughs> let's set down one Damon Albarn project and pick up a shiny new one, or perhaps a refurbished old one that's looking shiny and new these days. As a great man once said, maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Phase two! Of the good, the bad, and the queen has begun 11 years. Don, can you believe it? It's been 11 years, Trevor. It was so cool to see them all back on stage together, all looking a little older, all looking like a little wiser, maybe. So let's go through Let's go through the news as it's filtered out. So they, they've announced the first shows. They've got December 1st in Blackpool, December 2nd in Glasgow. Then they take December 3rd off in observance of Ramona's first birthday. Big ups, Ramona. And then on December 4th, 5th, and 6th, they're doing like a little mini residence at Earth Concert Hall in London. And then and then Damon said uh, after a gorilla show, I guess, in those last few nano dates that he really wants to tour the U.S. With, with this band. I guess we'll see how that shakes out. The good, the bad, and the queen, and the monkeys. My only concern is this is a British-ass project, yeah. you know? So I'm sure we'd be talking about much smaller venues. Which would be pretty cool to see Damon in a small venue. I I think the smallest venue I've seen him in has been the Apollo. I also imagine it would be very limited engagements. You'd probably get your big city ones and that's it. And then, okay, then the big news here is that we've got content. We've got music 
from this record. We've got the first single, Maryland. Title track from the new album. It coincided with the release of its music video. And then tonight as we're recording this, the 30th, they also did a live debut of the song on the Jules Holland show, full band with the demon strings and everything. What order do you want to tackle this content? Because we've got a live performance, we've got a music video, we got a song, where, where do we start? Let's talk about the song first, Maryland. are two very different songs but this arrangement in this song of like strings and then damon's playing that lowry organ that very loungy sounding organ uh they really remind me of of to the end by blur from park life it's that same weird interplay of that like that ringing you know resonant loungy organ in those strings uh, sure i got i got less loungy and more like fairground I can feel that too. I mean, part partially because the song is in six eight time, kind of like mm -hmm. marrying around music or something. But Damon is singing in, in such an angular cadence that it really it sounds like very mathy. Like, is, like it's very interesting. There's like almost like polyrhythms to yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously Tony Allen being the king of the polyrhythm mm -hmm. is, is mm -hmm. a big he's help. Really, he's really he's really matching with that energy. I like it a lot. I. I can't remember really remember the last time I heard Damon do something like this. It sounds like new and fresh. Yeah, definitely. Him going to like going back to the good, the bad, and the queen at this point in his career. I feel like there was kind of a threat of us getting like a sleepier record, maybe more in the vein of like everyday robots. But this is very cinematic, very dramatic. Yeah, and charged know? up too. He's bringing the like a lot of the same energy that he brought to humans and the now now so much so that. I almost wouldn't be surprised if this feels like a third record in that series. Like just yeah. like Damon Albarn's ongoing, like this is what it's like to be alive in the world right now series. Like this feels like the album that is going to capture the moment where the weariness of that starts to set in. Yeah, and, and the you know, the Brexit doesn't officially come into effect until March. So it does kind of feel like right. this dark sort of christening of a ship that nobody wanted to set sail. And there are some really explicit references to Brexit in this that I really like. I wanna get I wanna get to some of these lyrics too, but first I wanna say that like even though even though nothing on the first record sounds like this song I think the sound is still very unmistakably GBQ in its nature because you've got that Tony Allen snare that always comes in at the most like unexpected places and Simonin's playing those very boom, 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 those very boopy, you know, staccato bass lines that he loves to write. And you've got Simon Tong who's always more interested in what kind of textures he can get out of a guitar rather than the riffs or the chords that he might be playing. And it's like, it's congealing in that way where you're like, yeah, this is the fucking, this is the band. This is what the band sounds like. And then most important of all, definitely is like you, like you said, Damon's doing this very fleshed out, very studious, evocative, poetic, lyrical style. What was so like impressive to me about this was that he like um, slipped so well back into like the voice that he used in the on the first record not like the singing voice but like the lyrical and like perspective voice now that we've seen what the second phase of the good the bad and the queen looks like i feel like it's clear that they're not a band like gorillas where it's going to change and adapt depending on what damon wants to use it for like it's a specific thing it's like almost a specific character seeing him slip right back into this like a fine pair of shoes just kind of really shows how established the 
idea the feeling of this band is in Damon's head. And I I love that. I gotta say, this this there's a, a moment in this lyrically that is like I think it's more stirring than anything on this first record. It might be like a top three lyrical moment in a Damon Albarn song to me. I, it just like gives me chills every time I get to this part in the song where he goes, the horses, the foxes, the sheep, and the crows bow down on their knees to the fanfare of progress. It's always the same. We cheer on the clowns as they roll into town, but their faces look tired and sad to me and carry the terrible things they've seen. Oh, it's so oh, good. That's so good. I love that imagery. Like I just picture a very gray day in England and everybody's crowding these streets and like everything is colorless and like all these like clown cars coming into yeah, yeah. the city and like everyone's going nuts for it. But Damon's just standing there with this grim look on his face going like, Nah. Not good. The beginning of that verse is the explicit reference to Brexit, too, that I think I was talking about earlier. So rebuild the railways, firm up the roads, and no one is leaving. Now this is your home. Oh, my like, God. That's so good. It's, it makes it makes the inhabitants of... You're in a cage now. Yep. You're oh, like an unwilling captive. Ugh, I'm so excited for this record. And I mean, musically, it's a grower. I'm I'm... I've liked it more and more the more time I spent with it. For a first single, this is definitely not like a targeted shot at, at any music chart. And I mean, that's never been the point of Good Bad Queen. No, definitely not. I'm so ready for this too. Me too. You know, like if everything on this record reaches this this level of sonic and lyrical depth, then I can't wait to get this record and I can't wait to dig into it with you on the show, review well, it. Well, we the... don't have to wait very long, right? It's like, what, like three weeks away? Yeah, November 16th, I believe. How exciting is that? I feel like it's uh, the shortest I've ever waited for a Damon Auburn project. So exciting. We're getting two full-length Damon Auburn records this year. That's wild. I know, I know. Oof, the boy is on a roll right now. He's hot. Uh, you want to do talk about the video? Uh, yeah, I feel like there's not a lot to say. That no. it was, it's like a kind of a single, still long shot of somebody wearing a kind of like mock up of like a marionette head, not a marionette head, a ventriloquist dummy head, and just kind of doing these like sweeping, almost like David Bowie heroes esque gestures along with the music. Yeah, and and this like super imp imposed soupy grainy black and white footage of english countrysides behind him and let me let me see if you can go with me on this so you've got a puppet figure performing and posing in front of you know old video backdrop and the lighting is shifting and it's a single shot and he's delivering it into the camera is this Hallelujah Money video part two? It's very similar. It is very similar. Yeah, I didn't realize that while I was watching it. But yeah, now that you bring it up, it's the similarities are striking. The other thing worth mentioning is that many have theorized that the man made up to look like the, the ventriloquist dummy is our boy Damon. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, if he's going to get in that suit to do the teapot dance for the <laughs> sleeping powder yeah. video, I, why, why not do this? I had my doubts, but you know what? We're about to talk about a live performance of this song, and he strikes a few gestures and poses in that performance that have kind of put me in the camp of yeah. this is Damon in this video. Let's talk about this live performance, though. Yeah, so uh, Damon on Jules Holland. There's a number of things we could be talking about. The, the ventriloquist dummy motif that's seen on the cover of the album Maryland and in the video for Maryland. It makes another appearance with the two dummies that are propped up against uh, Tony's drum kit. I think it works. I think it works for the band. It's cool, and it definitely feels like like there's a metaphor about the whole 
the British exit and the Anglo-Saxon resurgence that's being commented on in a way that I can't quite, I haven't quite put my finger on exactly the metaphor there, but it definitely feels all connected to me. Maybe it's just Damon's way of calling everybody dummies. That's the immediate surface read. I'd like to think that he's like got a more humanitarian approach. Sure. I'd like to discuss the, the look that the band is sporting. I think it's a very interesting look. It was very GBQ. All of them are wearing these paper carnations on the lapels of their sport coats mm -hmm. that look like a, a tomato or something. It reminded me of the like uh, red rose worn by Democratic Socialists. Oh, sure. I didn't even think about that. And they've got these metal chain necklaces. I can't quite tell what's on those necklaces, but all of them are wearing them too. I know that Damon is, is, is referencing his lyrics on a music stand, so that might account for why he's wearing wearing his big thick frame glasses. I loved seeing them on him though. Me too. I think it completes the look. Yeah. Because you'll recall coming out of Demon Days, the the aesthetic of of Good Bad Queen 1 really felt like the first big step into Damon's kind of middle-agedom. Yeah. But I I'm glad that this time it's it's marked by some cool glasses and not, Not a top a hat. Doofy top hat, yeah. <laughs> For sure. But he looks very, very striking, very stately in those. I things. thought everybody looked cool. We got a really good shot of uh Paul Semenin when he did those uh spur of the moment vocals. I liked that a those lot. Those were really cool. I do think I do think Simon Tong looks a little more grown up. Oh yeah, for sure. He was always the baby of the band and now he looks yeah. like he's sort of one of the crew. And also, did you notice that his his pick guard on his guitar is just mangled to shit? Like, holy shit. No, I shit. didn't see that. Maybe we get some shredding on this album. Maybe. That'd be very cool. I'd love to yeah. hear it. Anyway, very excited to be in this Good Bad Queen phase. Just can't believe it's real, and I'm so excited. Woo! Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo, indeed. And boo, as the spooky episode continues, nothing creepier in the world than the adorable, the effervescent, the wonderful and gracious Chibo Mato co-founder, real noodle question mark herself, Miho Hattori, who is the true focus of today's episode, Trevor. Right, because we got on Skype with her a little while ago and we had an interview with Noodle herself. And also, Halloween is Noodle's birthday. So, you know. Context contextually, where this makes sense to do this now. I don't even want to give you any more setup than that. Like, just get into it with us when we sat down to talk to Miho Hattori on this podcast. Don't tell me what the hell I'm a Tori, welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys. I'm so excited to have you. Oh my God, Miho, welcome to the show. So happy yeah. you could make it on. <laughs> What's up? Man, this is like a very surreal moment for me. I'm just going to own it because your, your voice and your music has been a part of my life for all, practically as long as I can remember. Uh, and I've, I've been a fan for such a long time and it's just incredibly strange to be talking to you. Um, and I wanted to actually kind of go back to the first times that I remember becoming aware of you. And I, you know, earlier this year on this show, we reviewed uh, Viva La Woman, the, the first full length from Chibamato. We did a whole track by track review. Mm -hmm. And I think a part of, a part of why that 
is such a striking debut is you guys at that time did not really sound very much like anybody else who came before you or who was happening in that scene. It almost kind of feels like outsider art in a way, but of course, of course you guys had your influences and I would just be so curious to know who in Yuka, who you and Yuka were kind of listening to at that time that you think influenced that, that early Chibomato. Well, Chibomato started pretty quick. Right, you moved over to the States in 1992? I think maybe a little bit later than that. But uh, yeah, I came to New York and um, started to make music. And I met Yuka here and started to, all of a sudden, the buds start to happen very quick. Is there an album that you associate with that time in your life that you were listening to a lot? Personally, I was really into... Um, Tropicalia music, Brazilian. Oh, oh cool. interesting. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Brazilian music scene has only just kind of gotten mainstream recognition in these last sort of 10 years, in America anyway. Yeah, I don't know too much about I'm it. Not, I would not be surprised, Miho, if you're maybe a little tired of talking about this, but I really need to ask you about the video for Sugar Water. It was uh, the Michelle Gondry video. It, the, first, the first time I saw that video, I think I was 10 years old. And it it really blew my mind. And then I watched it again yesterday, and it was like I was still noticing things I'd never seen in it before. <laughs> it's so it's yeah. so dense. There's so much happening in it. And I was really trying to imagine how you even film a video like that. And it really feels like it would be a logistical nightmare, you know, because everything had to have been timed down to the second. And I'm curious, was that grueling? Was that a difficult video to shoot? It was, but it was not because everything was so organized and um, everybody trust Michel Gondry because he's a, he's a genius and he's an amazing magician, right? Magician is the word for it because there's, there's, yeah. In every film he's made, there's always going to be at least one sequence where you just have to think about how it was done, you know? Yeah, it's incredible. So it was pretty much my first music video shooting, and I was excited and same time nervous and overwhelmed, you know? Um, your mind become kind of blank almost, you know? You become a performing machine. I feel like it's almost like it just uh, do it. I'm not thinking, I don't know. It just do it, you know? Yeah, just do it. I like it. I was thinking about how, you know, you the way it was filmed, if I'm not mistaken, Yuka did her section of the video, and then the second half of the video is your section, right? Everything is choreograph- uh, choreography. Right, so that, so that you're both doing the same thing at the same time when you reverse it and split-screen it. It follows Yuka. If you were, it, the way the shoot worked, right, is that they followed Yuka first and then you second, right? Yeah, it's kind of complicated, too. It is hard to talk about, Explain. I know. Yeah. I was just thinking about the insane pressure of, you know, if Yuka has already finished her section of the video and she did a great job, what if what if now I have to do my section and I mess it up? I was just thinking about how that pressure would really get in my head. Yeah, because if I think too much, like, I get too nervous, I think, because, like, so much pressure, you know, people around us and um, everything in this have to be in sync. So if I mistake one thing, that footage will be trash, 
Yeah, start all over. Start all over. That was like kind of crazy, and I made a mistake. And now uh, when I did that at the end of the end of end, when I was writing basically uh, uh, words on windows. Oh no! Oh, when you no. write the other half of sugar water. Yeah, that was the end of end, and like oh, I missed, no. oh my gosh, mistake, and like Michelle Gondry was like, "Oh my god!" You know, she was like just. Uh, and uh, me too. When I'm doing it, oh shit, I'm I'm writing completely different <laughs> words. Oh <laughs> no! It's like when I'm writing, oh shit! Like okay, well like, let's go back across town and start all over. <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, that was a crazy experience. But uh, you know, we had I guess one good one. <laughs> It's an amazing <laughs> one, though. I still think I still think it's his best music video. I really do. I think it's oh, just a. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's such a good piece of, of art. Okay, it's a classic. So your your path to gorillas. I know that it goes through Dan the Automator, and I was kind of hoping to ask you about Dan. The first the first song I know of that you work with on Dan was Metaphysical from the Handsome Boy Modeling School record. Great track. Yes. Is that also where you met Mike D of the Beastie Boys as well? I don't think so. No, you met him already. How did Dan the Automator become aware of you or vice versa? How did you guys first start to work together? I think, like, yeah, the community was still kind of more, much smaller, I think, back in time. So it's like creation with Beastie Boys and, like, I met so many people. If you were super creative and in New York City at that time, you were bound to meet other super creative New York City people. Right now, too. It's not changing that much, I think. It's probably it's probably a little bit more digitized, I would imagine. There's probably less... Yeah, meeting on the Instagram or something like that, it definitely happens. But back in time, it was not internet. So it's like, yeah, more like, um, yeah, meeting on the street or like, it's what's happening more i think this is this might be a total non-starter but i'm very curious to know you know dan dan famously has a lost album it's called omakase and it's uh some crazy things happen he made this full-length album and then the record label that was going to put it out got bought and then the record label that bought it didn't want to put it out and it's still it's still never seen the light of day i don't know that this is the case but did you happen to work on that record with him omakase it would have been 2003 or 2004 oh i don't think so. Just just wanted to check. I didn't know about the album. Oh, that that's interesting. Yeah, we've been trying to figure out more information about it for like forever now, right, Dylan? What a heartbreaking thing to make a whole record from start to finish and it never goes out. Anyway. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm assuming you get to Gorillas because Dan the Automator, you know, contacts you and says, Hey, would you be interested in working on this project? Is that correct? Yeah. How did how did Dan explain the the whole concept to you? Do you remember? Uh, I think I was not thinking about the concept too much because, like, I was I think you know I was more interested in uh, what kind of sound you know what kind of songs. But uh, later I realized, oh wow, that's very unique. Right, it had yeah, this whole concept. this yeah. whole art art concept over it do you know this is something that I've, I've heard some speculation about in the fan community do you know if the character of noodle was in any way inspired by you or did she already exist by the time you became involved it was already existing okay at the time was your role in this project ever described to you in as explicit of terms as like okay so on the album you're going to be kind of playing this noodle character or did they kind of leave it more abstract than that i 
never had the mind of like playing her. Right, right. I was just being, you know, as a musician and did the song, play my voice. I never thought about it. I'm the basically, oh, I need to play noodle. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't really explained to you on those terms either. You were just kind of there to do the job. No, they never said that. And I know it's been like 18 years, so maybe it's difficult to remember. But wow, you, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's been a while. Do you, do you remember or at least have a strong memory of the first song from that record that was played for you as a sample of what the sound was going to be? I think that was like, maybe I got some draft of maybe 19, maybe. That makes sense. It's a good representation of the kind of sound that they were going for, you know? Something like that. One of it. I put, uh, yeah, I don't quite remember that, like which song. What actually. was your What was your reaction? Did you click with that material immediately, or were you kind of like, okay, this is this is okay, and and it grew on you? What did you What was your first impression? It sounds great. <laughs> it's really awesome. Really amazing. What did you think about Damon Albarn? And did you have a pretty good working relationship with him, or did you mostly work with Dan? How did that work? out? We are all in the studio, same time. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, that was a great experience. Like singing together with you know with him, that was like amazing, amazing experience. He was definitely his vocals at that time were so kind of interesting and special, and and don't sound like much else in in his career, I don't think. And and I think that the the color that the two of you formed together with your voices is such a big part of this early sound of that. Band, mm. you know thank you yeah that really is the gorilla sound oh wow thank you do you have a personal favorite gorilla song today is there one that 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 you like the most Ooh, that's hard i like actually i love um especially because i i'm i listened to the first album many times um Oh, I love the album. Like all songs are incredible. Definitely. It's a whole really? piece, isn't it? I love You got you I gotta listen a, to the whole track. It's a fantastic album. Uh, such a great pop songs. And uh yeah, I mean Damon is he's a such amazing um songwriter. Had you know done automated significant sound and the, it's a great production and I really feel like sometimes like listen back again and like think about the pure form of pop music so do you have any uh recollection of how long you spent working on the record oh uh, my part was like i guess like week yeah okay and and when you were laying down vocals for the for the different songs were you kind of allowed to improvise or bring your own ideas to the table or were, was everything kind of written out for you that you had to do a certain way how did that work yeah some stuff like you know, demo had already vocal line so i just sang with him but uh yeah some stuff yeah putting some ideas of my the melodies and yeah it's kind of mixture and then I kind of wanted to go through some of these songs with you and, and talk about them with you. So you're very heavily featured on on the first song on Gorilla's Rehash. And the lyrics on that song, they're always they're a little abstract, but I've always kind of seen that song as being about 
you know, pop musicians who are kind of only in it for the money, for the success and the fame. And it's got that chorus lyric, you know, it's the money or stop. It just always makes me think about that. I'm curious, have you, have you in your career ever taken a gig that was, that was just for the money? Um, hard to say. It's like, it's hard to work that way. I think, you know, if it's just for money. It's more miserable, certainly. Mm, it's not that much fun. No? What about, what about you know, maybe not albums, but what about, like, shows? Have you done performances that you're like, I wouldn't be doing this if, I, if, it, if it wasn't for the money? Not really. Hard to play in uh, that way, no? I think. I think that's great. I think that shows a lot of integrity, and it shows that you listen to yourself and what you want to do. While we're while we're in this kind of territory, you know the Chibamato song "Housekeeping." Uh, you sing about you sing about this hotel maid, and and she kind of has this terrible job, and the people are mistreating her, and she she contemplates stealing a million dollars from a bag and sending it back to her home country and all the good that it could do. I'm I'm curious to know, if you found a million dollars in a bag and you knew that you would get away with it, would you consider taking it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Great. <laughs> Me too. I'll say it oh, right yeah. now. Right, without Me hesitation. Too. Um, okay, so the next song on Gorillaz is 5-4, which they almost made it to a single, and you sing your backup on it. I think most noticeably it's during that very quotable lyric, She, she turned, turned My, my dad, dad On, which is quite a moment. And then and then you've got your solo song, uh, Walking City, where you, where you kind of talk about your own dad, and you sing, My dad is an inspector of messages from insects. I love that line. I've always think about that line. Oh, cool. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I know a little bit about your dad from interviews that you've given. I, like, I'm just so curious to know what your dad thinks about your career as a musician and, you know, both the decision to be an artist and also the art that you make. Oh, he has no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because of disinterest or do you keep him in the dark? I don't know. He, I don't think he's listening to the music I'm doing. He's like... Whatever you do, <laughs> I think he has no idea. Pretty much. Do you think he's just not interested? Do you think it's that? I think he might be interested, in, but the you know lifestyle is so different. Yeah, and you know sense. he's focusing on what he does. So it's like you know, uh, if I'm healthy and happy, he's happy. <laughs> oh well, there's 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 a sweetness to that. There, that's yeah. still. That's still loving. Yeah, know. he's a sweet guy. And, uh, yeah. I'd like to, you know what I'd like to do, Miho? I'd like to make a playlist of songs of yours that I think your dad might like, and then I'll send it to you, <laughs> and you can decide if you want to send it to him. <laughs> that's, that's cute. I think, you know, he's like, maybe what I'm doing is too, I guess, avant-garde and, like, experimental for him. I don't think you know, he's he's not like a music lover. So it's like, yeah, I feel like whatever. <laughs> I, I still think I could probably find five tracks that <laughs> any dad would love. Any five Mihotori tracks that any dad would love. <laughs> anyway, okay, so 192000, it's your showcase moment on the record. It's still one of the most beloved Gorilla songs and your performance makes that entire song. The, the, there's nothing better then the way that you slide that note down on cool. cool. It's so good. <laughs> and, That's cool. I'm good at it. 
That's such a detail. That's amazing. You, <laughs> you it's a, it makes the song. That oh, yeah. detail makes the Absolutely. song. Oh, and I, I, I like that. that. That's awesome. I'd love to know if you tried that line like a number of ways and eventually found that delivery, or did you just lock into that delivery from the get-go? Oh, wow. I, have, I don't remember that way. But the, usually, from my experience, when we go to studio, like there's not that many takes you know actually like it's like yeah i guess some people does like 100 takes so something like that but that it was not like that at all it's more like okay let's do four times <laughs> that's, like, that's actually a song where i'd love to know how that how the how authorship breaks down did what did you bring anything to the table there like was for example was the here you go is that your idea or that did you guys work on that very interesting, cool shoe shine lyric together, or was that kind of all laid out for you already? Yeah, demo has that words already. So get you know, the cool shoe shine. Yeah, so which is like you know, I thought it's pretty cool. Like whoa, you know, it's like what's about this, you know? But the kind of like set in a mood, like okay, you know, like here you go. You know, it's like more like a fun thing, and like you know, I could feel like that's what what the vibe is about that here you go is such a great moment too it almost turns the song into like a dub record mm, yeah the, i love the song it's fun and um, you know people feel uplifting right so it's like yeah that's a really amazing energy and they love that and then of course tina weymouth of the talking head yeah. also sings on that song which is crazy awesome. did you ever get to work with tina or at least meet her in the studio after that, yeah, I met her in person, but uh, yeah, she was not uh, at the studio when I was doing so. But I was very, very happy about it to be a part of the song with her because, you know, she's my idol. It's pretty amazing. So many really fantastic, talented people in uh, the album and the B uh, part of You it. have very memorable features on a couple of B sides as well. So the first one is Faust, which I, I think is like. One of the most haunting and 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 prettiest gorilla songs, and you sing in Japanese on that one. Oh, Faust! Well, I forgot about the song. I couldn't I couldn't tell you the lyrics because I don't speak Japanese, but it goes. And then Damon shows up at the end after a hard day. It's time to wake up. That that song. That song, yes. I think there's a English lyrics on that he wrote, and uh, I did. I believe I did translation, probably right, because I was there. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I don't think Damon wrote them in Japanese. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> probably like, not. You can just Japanese speaker. Take a while. <laughs> um yeah probably that yeah translated by me and uh, yeah put some yeah you know to fit in the song oh yeah that's interesting i was forgetting about the song because it's not in the album yeah right? it's a b-side it's a b-side um ah uh, that's the reason i'm yeah I feel bad forgetting about the song. I no. got to listen to it again. <laughs> you should, yeah, definitely give it a spin. It's, it's a really <laughs> lovely piece. It's a lovely piece. But there's something about that and other moments in your career where you've sang in Japanese. I always feel like your your voice takes on a totally different character when you sing in Japanese. The, I feel like you sound more ethereal. You sound a little bit like more locked into something that's a little quieter, a little a little more vulnerable maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm interested 
as a vocalist, if there's if you prefer to write and sing in English or write and sing in Japanese? I think of um, English, yeah. Uh, that's more my natural form, yeah. But approach is different uh, when I write in Japanese because it is like Japanese language and attitude it's very vulnerable <laughs> you know it's like it's a very different i feel like yeah vibe yeah, yeah so and how to use the expression it's very different so because i grew up in in japan like i guess that's my first language that also like and you know, i care about like the about the language in the song so I think that kind of, you know, I think, I guess, respect to my old language, let's say, you know, comes maybe out. There's, maybe there's a more reverent approach and you're w- more willing to be like a little crazy or have a little bit more fun when you write in English? Is it a little bit like that? No, English has a different energy, I think. You know, I guess just can say uh, pretty straightforward, but Japanese is different. There's a lot of way to say it. It's very sensitive and um, complicated language, I think. But that, that makes Japanese language very beautiful and uh, the culture itself, too. So I think that I don't want to take it out of the beauty. We're, we're going back in time here a little bit, but do you remember trying out or contributing any other vocals to the album that we might not already know about i know some fans have suspected that you might be a little bit lower on the mix in like tomorrow comes today or man research do you know if you're on either of those songs tomorrow yeah comes today yeah i I remember that cool do you remember if you sing on that song at all yeah what what is your part i'm so curious do you know what you sing on that song i think i made a bucking vocal great and then what about man research do you know if you were in that one i don't remember actually you don't remember. That's okay. It's it's some some fandom mysteries should always stay mysteries, you know. Oh, okay. Did you record any additional vocals for songs on the album that didn't get included in the final mixes? I don't think so. I think I did everything at the time. And do you know if you like worked on anything that didn't get released? Like, are there any like Gorillas feet Mihotori tracks in the vault that we haven't heard? Mm, it's hard to tell. It's like I don't don't remember actually. If there's another song, that'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're, hoping, we're hoping that now he's about to go on hiatus, <laughs> that he's going to start digging through the archive and we'll get little lost classics like that. Free the sea. You played with the band in 2010 uh, on a few of the plastic beach dates, correct? Yeah, I guess uh, Los Angeles and New York. In the, yeah, 2000, some, yeah, yeah, after 2010, was it? I forgot. When was it? Yeah. 2010, yeah. 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 That was such a huge moment, I know, of kind of like embracing the history of the project. And, and, you know, the band has been kind of touring nonstop now for more than a year. I'm so curious if anybody ever tried to track you down and get you out for any of these shows. Because, boy, we would have loved to have seen you there. Yeah, that would be nice to be a part of it again. Yeah, the, the band is awesome. Really, really amazing musicians on the stage. That was really my pleasure to play on the show. But no call. You didn't get that phone call. You never got that phone call. No, no, I'm uh. not planning. I have a yeah. I'm doing some like my own solo show and uh, going to uh, Europe uh, from this month, end of this month. So yeah. You were such a big part of that first album's sound. 
and then the noodle character kind of carried on through the project, but you but you never showed up on any later Gorillas recordings. Uh, was that ever something that Damon reached out to you about, or did you ever feel disappointed that you didn't come back to the project? No, really, it's okay. It's like you know, great to be a part of in a fast album. I have to ask this. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's your your records of late have made me think about this a lot. Actually, you know, this we're, the world we're living in now is very different than the world from eighteen years ago. Especially the way that we kind of think about things like gender and sexuality and race. And I wonder if, when you look back on it, do you think that the noodle character that there's something about that character that wouldn't work today? Was it was it too culturally insensitive or of its time, or do you think that that it was kind of harmless? As a Asian Asian woman, well, what people usually bring up is the name. You know, like it's almost like a food stereotype to have, like you know, like a, a like a like a thirteen year old Asian girl named Noodle in the band. I think that is very depends on the people how they look at it. Of course, and uh, it's a it's a form of art. So I have no basically right to say it. It's a depend on that you know each person, the listener, and uh, how to take it, and uh, you know that's the art about like freedom to think you know out of it, how to absorb, and so I don't think I'm in the position of saying that. I think that's understandable. Uh, let, let's talk about misinformation though, because we've been listening to it like all week, and we've got some questions about it. Right, Don? Thank you. There's this very conceptual idea behind it. It's sort of it's about the idea or the elemental force of information becoming a living, breathing woman, which is a very crazy, heady idea. And then you were you were explaining that it was inspired by this current trend of people unearthing hidden information, and you described that as a very female thing to do. And I think, I don't know if this is what you were getting at, but to me, it makes me think about this, about the Me Too movement, essentially, about how women who have who have survived being abused by powerful men and have been expected to be silent about it for centuries are now finally, you know, being encouraged and, and being allowed to break that silence. Mm. And I wonder if, if any of that was an inspiration behind the concept of misinformation. Mm. When I was reading it, the Me Too movement wasn't happening yet. Because that was 2016 when I was on the studio. But I was more inspired by the Cambridge Analytical. You know that one? Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. One of my favorite things about that project, by the way, is like that concept is so challenging and so abstract. But then the name of the project is like this, like it's like a cute piece of wordplay, Miss information yeah. misinformation and i'm, I'm re- i'd love to know what came first did you come up with oh i should do something called misinformation and then think about what that could mean or did you have the idea what if information was a woman and then later go oh i could call it misinformation which which happened first actually the name was first great i love that i love yeah, that that's, that's great it's fun to think develop the concept around it and uh yeah at the time, I, I think I was hearing about Cambridge Anal- Analyst- Analytica stuff, you know, about Facebook and, like, pr- president. Yeah, and, and, like, fake news and the intentional obfuscation of the truth and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's such a, a big um, changes from yeah. the past. 
and it moved me like, wow, that's what happening that right now, you know, oh my um, system. It is interesting that you that you described the idea of hidden information becoming unhidden as a very female idea. Because that is essentially what's happening in the Me Too movement, you know? It yeah. is all of this yeah, hidden information that. That, that women that women are making unsecret again. Yeah. It's almost like misinformation really did happen. Yeah, it's such a such a crazy time. And um yeah, I wasn't thinking, you know, about it at all. But the, I think that's the thing. I feel like right now the those kind of energy is uh coming up. I think the record is incredible. I think everybody should listen to that record. And thank you. I think if you ever make a sequel to Misinformation, mm. you should add you should add a villain character who's trying to stop the uncovering of this hidden information with like lies and with confusing information and confusing people. And his name could be Mister Action, like Misdirection. Nice one. <laughs> well done. Don't actually do it. It's too dumb of a pun, but I still had to share it with you. I wish we'd had time to also talk about New Optimism because I love that record too. That's also yeah. such a good record. That'd be nice. Yeah, New Optimism, it's a fun thing. And kind of like, you know, I think it's like, has very fun energy. I'm, I hope the Gorilla fans will love that too. <laughs> But I, but I love the idea behind new optimism in terms of kind of not denying that the times we're living in are, are pretty fucked up, but also being conscious and trying to find your way mm. into having a realistic positive outlook in spite of all that. And like, I especially think you really nail that vibe on that last song, Howling, which is like one of my favorite songs you've ever done. And it just really, it feels like a, a pick me up for the modern times. I love it. Oh, I really, love that I really song. appreciate that. Thank you so much for yeah, great, great comment. I really appreciate that. Do you do you still feel you know new optimistic? Do you feel optimistic about this era? Do you think it's gonna? Are we gonna pull out of this? I think new optimism is not optimism. It's a kind of like new optimism. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> oh, what is this about? You know, people always ask me about uh, definitions but i think we are so get used to it to get information easily like when you you know oh what is this about the meaning definition and you just you know try to find the word in wikipedia right that's a very good question and the answer is probably not right yeah so that's the point that's the point of i think new optimism and we make a lot of like limitation, just knowing to have some this kind of trick of information. It's very connecting to misinformation, actually. It's their companion pieces, in my opinion. I think that I think that the ideas, the philosophy in New Optimism, really set the stage for the concepts of of misinformation. On that tour that you're going out on and the digs that you're playing now, are you doing material from both projects or just one? I think I'm going to do a little mixture. This tour will be my solo performance. So, yeah, some songs I cannot do it without band. But uh, I try to do more like, more party style, <laughs> you know, more fun, you know. Um, so I will do some little bit of misinformation, but mainly more um, new optimism songs. Well, I definitely want to encourage all of our European listeners to go listen to Amazon the Frack by Please. New Optimism. <laughs> 
go listen to Sequence by Misinformation and go see those shows because those are going to be amazing. And Can't one wait. thing, actually, I want to share something with you. Oh, go ahead, is, please. Uh, um, I make a music video. For Misinformation? Mm. Nice. And I feel you guys will like it. <laughs> Interesting. I will say. Okay. I will say that. Oh my goodness. When should we, when should, do, where do we watch for when this drops? Where do we have to, where do we keep an eye on? Well, now uh, we are making it. So as soon as we uh, edit, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait, Miho. Yeah. I'm very excited for that. I think you will like it, actually. You will like it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, when it happens, we'll definitely talk about it on the show. I can't wait. Yeah. And, uh, and thank you again so much, Miho Hattori. Having you on the show has been nothing less than a total dream come true. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, how can I say no? You guys have such a big passion for it. And, like, and Vega, thank you so much for listening on all my solo stuff, too. And, yeah, I really appreciate your support. And uh, it's great to connect with you all. Miho, we will always be down for whatever you're doing. We're lifelong fans. You got us. Oh, so sweet. Thank you so much. Okay, have a lovely day, Miho. You do. Bye. Sayonara. Bye. Wow, I gotta tell you, Trevor, singing Faust to Mio Hattori to remind her that it existed was a surreal moment in my life. <laughs> yeah, I almost didn't want to bring this up, but I, I gotta say, like, first of all, totally understandable because it was like, 20 years ago and she sang like five lines of lyrics for the band i'm pretty sure that 192000 is like the only gorilla song Mio Hattori could probably identify by name and when she said it to, to us in that interview i it kind of felt like a lucky guess oh yeah but it, but it, it was clear that as we got into things it all came flooding back you know of course and how couldn't it boy that was just so exciting to hear that from her perspective and speaking of perspective god i would kill to have been a fly on the wall when she botched that perfectly good take of the one-shot Sugar Water video. Oh, yeah. I would have loved to have known what she wrote on that window. I would have loved to have seen director Michel Gondry express an emotion. I've never <laughs> seen that happen before. He's like the most reeled-in, quiet little dude. I gotta say, I think my favorite part of that interview is when she just started going, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Mio like, <laughs> Hattori, the new Nike frontman. Let's see that happen. I'd love to have an app where like Mio Hattori psychs me up to do things that I'm avoiding. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to listen to that short clip of audio whenever I need like an, a boost of encouragement. Just do it. Speaking of encouragement, I definitely want to encourage all of you out there to go check out her two fabulous releases from this year. The EP, Amazon to Lefrac by New Optimism, which, by the way, the last track on that record, Howling, is like... Oh, it is such a good pop song, and that whole EP is great. And then don't miss the, like, slightly more challenging, but maybe even more rewarding full-length LP from Misinformation sequence. Both of them are, are available on 
all the places you go to stream stuff, or you can buy it like a real cool person. Or if you're in Europe, definitely go to mihohatori.com and check if she's got any tour dates coming towards you. I think that tour actually kicks off on Halloween night, Trevor. So. Very spooky, very spooky. Why don't you, are there any other uh, websites you could think of that our listeners might want to go to? Uh, I would strongly recommend that the listeners type into their web browsers www.hallelujahmonkeys.com for all of our links and all of our episodes. Anywhere you want to go that involves us, that website can take you there. And be sure to follow my good friend and co-host Trevor Ickrath on Twitter at Trevor Ickrath with all the vowels removed, T-R-V-R-K-R-T-H. And follow my good friend and co-host Dylan Flynn on Twitter at Dylan Flynn with all of the vowels in there. That's all we got except for you You guys want to know about the mysterious Charleston episode and I, all I can tell you is it's coming. It's coming. It's, it's coming down the pipe. Oh boy. But nobody's ready for it I don't think. They ain't ready. They ain't ready, Ikrath. But I'm ready to end this episode. So for now, I've been Trevor Ikrath. I've been Dylan Flynn. And until next time, don't get lost in heaven. Demon. Demon. <laughs>